Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. Fascinating episode for you this week, all about banking. It remains one of the major key questions in the cannabis industry is how to get and secure a bank account. Our guest this week is Christopher of Hyper, who has created a platform that is currently transacting a billion dollars in the cannabis industry for banks every month. And he says the key is all about compliance and his platform helps banks and the merchants they work with get compliant and do so legally. It is a very important topic and a very interesting conversation. I learned a ton. You're going to learn a ton. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Well, Christopher, thanks so much for being here. In your own words, you don't really do interviews, so uh, we're extra lucky to have you today. Um, you're tackling what is one of the biggest, maybe the key question, uh, which is banking in the cannabis industry. Uh, and I think most people understand at a high level that it's hard, um, but I'd love to ask you just to get started. What is the issue with banking cannabis? Well, I can tell you're in San Francisco, and it's my pleasure to be here. That's <laughs> that is authentic. Well, look, when when we first began to look at this industry, uh, there were several different messages coming out about how to do this and how to not do this. And, you know, at the end of the day, we looked at several different options. And what we recognized instantly is that this is not about payments. This is not about how a customer is going to interact with their merchant. This is about whether or not a financial institution is prepared and or willing to accept the cash or bank the industry as a whole. Because if, if they're not prepared to do that and, and they're not prepared to enable a business, a cannabis business specifically, to put the, their capital inside their institution, everything from that point going forward is a Band-Aid. So the only way to truly solve the problem is to address it at the banking level. So at the end of the day, uh, we chose to tackle this, this issue from that perspective. And what we found is that banks operate at a very different level than most businesses. One, they're very conservative. Two, the technology did not exist commensurate to the challenge. There was no technology that would enable financial institutions to actually bank this industry and stay in compliance with the Cole Memorandum, which was issued by Department of Justice and by FinCEN. So at the end of the day, people, they tend to forget that the banks are taking all the risk. This is their charter they're putting it online. This is their balance sheet. This is their board of directors. This is their reputational risk. Uh, you cannot be cavalier about how you're going to enter this space. Mm. And so they were wanting, there were many institutions that were wanting to do it or were starting to do it, but they really were doing it in a, a manual way and which was frankly creating more issues than it was solving. And there are still many banks today that do things in a very manual way. And, and it's not if you're making mistakes, it's when and how many. So when we built this technology and began to roll it out throughout the industry, uh, our adoption has been surprisingly uh, well received. So take me through uh, some of those pain points for someone that's not familiar with banking compliance. Uh, you know, what are those some of those activities that were so painstaking before? Well, it's, it's, it's tracking, it's tracking the cash. 
it's the it's what we call chain of cash custody mm-hmm. and chain of cash custody is i need to know as a financial institution who your consumer is and, and we call it know your customer's customer or kycc uh, they need to be able to know that the consumer that is walking through that door is one that is of age, two, is able to be in that establishment, and three, that their dollars are coming from a track, trackable and traceable source. Mm. Well, in operating in the cash business, it's very difficult to do that. And it's even more difficult to balance out inventories it's and, and to give a real true accounting of how much did you take in and how much did you sell? Got it. And that is that has been the challenge number one. And obviously, there are you know there are anti money laundering policies and their Bank Secrecy Act policies, and what they call SARS, which are suspicious suspicious activity reports, and CTRs, which are cash transaction reports. Frankly, those are all manual processes. So you're looking at a doing having to understand the operator of the business, the consumer of the business, the source material, the supply chain, and what the inventory turns are. And if you deposit $100,000 in my bank, did you really sell $100,000 worth of material? Mm. Or did you sell $80,000 worth of material and throw an additional $20,000 into it? Or did you sell $200,000 worth of material and only deposit $100,000? Yep. So there was no way for the institutions to actually be able to track that information in real time, which really exposed the institution itself. And I think people in the industry will recognize this best by if they make a deposit over a certain amount, that that bank account is flagged. And then generally that results in them being kicked out of the bank altogether. So th- this is the kind of alerts and notifications you're talking about that are manually done today. Yeah, we call that structuring. So if you know that... You, you, you're making a similar number of deposit every day because you know it's going to trigger that structuring and that's illegal. Mm. Yeah. Um, that's it. that's a bigger problem, frankly, because now you're money laundering. So mm-hmm. it, it's a it's an interesting dichotomy, uh, cannabis and cannabis banking. Um, it, it's unlike anything I've ever seen or dealt with in my professional career, and I, I come from finance. And it's uh, you know, once once we've learned and once we figured out how to do it, uh, it became obvious. But it took a, a great deal of time and money to figure out how to do it. Got it. And what are some of those eventual solutions? I know you offer uh, a range of services, but how have you solved that problem? How how have you made it easier for these companies to comply? So it's not so much the companies because our customers are banks. So okay. we don't, we don't necessarily deal with the merchant or the end users. Our, our contracts and our agreements are specifically with the financial institutions, whether it's a bank or it's a credit union. So we are solely focused on providing these services at the financial institution level. It is incumbent upon the financial institution to deal with the compliance internally. You cannot outsource your compliance. You cannot use a third party for your compliance. Why is that? Because it's the bank's responsibility. Got it. Irrespective of if a bank were to outsource their compliance and something went sideways, it's still the bank's responsibility to make sure that whatever material information that they provide is accurate. 
And if they're outsourcing it to someone else, it's very difficult for them to represent that they know the context and the content of that material. Hmm. Got it. Um, yeah. So a lot of what you're saying to me, sort of the verification process here, um, it reminds me a lot of the blockchain, sort of this trust uh, platform. How much of, uh, you know, those concepts went into the building of Hyper and I guess more broadly, you know, how similar can that be? How, how big of a player can that be in this process? But blockchain is a, is a tracking and tracing mechanism and it's a connectivity mechanism. It still does not provide true transparency into how things are done. It enables banks to connect and it, and it enables them to have a tracking and tracing mechanism, but it really doesn't address the compliance issue. It, it's, it's part of a, of, of a solution. It's not a solution. So if, if you view hyper, I mean, we're blockchain is a lot of, a lot of our partners, they were blockchain on steroids because we take a very holistic approach. We, we know, we know that, as we as we move into a market, we sit down with the point of sale providers and we integrate all of our technology into the point of sale providers. We allow the institutions to then be able to track that information in a real time environment. They can literally sit at their desk and watch the transaction happen on their desk. No one's ever provided that level of detail and that level. We, it's level three data. Level three data is, is reserved for the credit card industry but our data is, is equal to, if not more granular than level three data. And it enables the institution to operate in a proactive manner, not a reactive manner. And what I mean by that is, if a, if a financial institution enables you to deposit money into, your business, into their bank, once that money is in their bank, they're already in the penalty box. Hmm. Our system enables them to say, we know that you have done $97,330 on Thursday, and that should be the size of your deposit. Mm. If you try to deposit $119,000, we're only going to accept $97,000. Got it. Because we know what you have done. We're able to verify that, and we're able to track and trace that information. And oh, by the way, we have reporting on every single transaction. So we know for a fact that that transaction happened in that location with that person, this amount of product was sold and this amount of pay product was paid for, and this is the amount. That gives them granular levels of detail. So when their regulators walk into their institution and begin to audit them, they can provide this information as opposed to handing them a box of files. This is a fully electronic product they walk in and they can plug in whatever date and whatever time they like, and they can pull that transaction up in real time. And where is that data coming from? Is that integrated at the store level, like with POSs, or, or how are you getting that? Yeah, yeah we're, we're fully integrated with the point of sale companies. Mm -hmm. So all whether, of them? Not, well, not all of them. We are presently integrated with six of the majors. Um, I think seven will be done in January. Um, so yeah, the, the primary seed to sale companies in the markets we operate in, mm -hmm. we have full baked integrations. Got it. So all of those, all the APIs are in, it's a, it's a, it's a very seamless transaction. And what we find is the, the vendor, the merchant themselves, they end up using a lot of the information that we provide to them because it's a very simple process and it's they they can't believe the level of detail they're getting on the transactions 
And are they paying for that separately? Are there any plans to monetize that, that piece of it as well? No, we, our relationships are with the financial institutions. If the financial institutions choose to charge the merchants, that's between them and the merchant. Got it. Uh, we do not directly interact with the merchants. I mean, we help them set up the product and as they launch our, our mobile payments product, uh, we interact with them at that level, but the merchant is the bank's customer. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so give me some sense of the scale uh, of where you are today, you know, how many banks or however you want to quantify that. Sure. Uh, we are presently running in five markets. In five markets. Okay. Yes, we started, uh, we started basically beta testing a great deal of our product 14 months ago, 15 months ago, and understanding, you know, what what was working, what wasn't working, and we were able to do that in a live environment. Um, we launched with two specific institutions, and it's interesting about this industry. It's like Fight Club. Everybody knows you're in it, but nobody will ever mention that they're in it. <laughs> um, we kind of, it's it, we, we, you know, it's kind of a running joke with our organization. But um, so we started in those two markets, and then we launched our hyper commerce product uh, in November of last year and proceeded to go through a beta test and went, <laughs> basically changed the user interface and the user experience about 12 times in 12 months. So wow. Wow. Um, we're now running in 65 locations uh, and moving very rapidly. We're putting on between five and eight locations a week. Okay. Um, Oregon goes up, is up where it's going up right now. There will be a press release being announced with our financial institution partner in that market. Um, right now we're in New Mexico, Illinois, Arizona, Oregon, Washington state and Puerto Rico mm -hmm. and moving very rapidly into, we have several institutions in California that we are at different phases of conversation with. Um, I would suggest that that market will be open very, very soon. Yep. And, um, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Florida, Maryland are all markets uh, that we have partners in at different stages of contract negotiation, Massachusetts mm -hmm. as well. Um, and we just, and we literally just signed our first F our first financial institution in Texas. So we're handling all the CBD down there. Wow. Texas so we are, is a, isn't yeah. one that I would have expected. Well, it's a CBD market, so yeah. it's not really cannabis, but uh, that's our, 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 our M, what we call our MRB division, which is marijuana related businesses. Mm -hmm. And then on our money service business division, uh, we have one, two, three, we have six financial institutions signed there. So uh, any given month, we monitor between our money service business and our cannabis business close to a billion dollars uh, in transactions. Wow. Okay. You said that's and once a month? Once a month. Yes. Um, close to, we're not there quite there yet. Uh, we have about 5,500 consumers using our hyper commerce app. Uh, and we're signing up anywhere between 130 and 160 new users a day. Mm -hmm. So that is growing very rapidly. Um, you know, so we are, we are truly in full commercialization of our product, our products. 
and uh, it's kind of a fun time now. Yeah, extremely, extremely exciting. Congratulations on the on the early traction there. Thank Take you. me through the process um, of selecting uh, an institution. What what does an ideal bank look like for you? Well, it's not just a bank; it's a credit union. So we we operate with both. Um, and you know, I, I say this to people sometimes, and they think I'm I'm I'm, I'm not I'm not being serious, but. We have said no to more finance institutions than we have said yes to uh, on how they're going to run their program. Uh, and the, the reason is, is, is simple for us, is that if you are a finance institution and you are not going to check all the boxes and you are not going to run a buttoned up program and you're going to try to do anything that is a shortcut, or you're not going to fully implement policies and procedures, safety and soundness, and you're not going to be fully 100% transparent on everything that's going on in your institution, I'm not going to let you run my tech. Hmm. Because if you put your bank in the ditch, you're going to take me with you. So this is fascinating to me that the startup in the cannabis banking space is requiring a higher level of compliance and scrutiny than the financial institutions themselves. And it's, I, please don't take that with a broad brush because when I say that, like you have small institutions who are looking for revenue centers. <laughs> they view, as I say, as I say all the time to a lot of companies, give me your business plan. Are you in this for short-term gain or long-term value? We're not short-term gain players. We're long-term value players. So we understand that we're, you know, we're playing chess. A lot of other people are playing checkers. And this is about understanding that this is a long-term play. It's going to be painful and it's going to be expensive. And if you're not prepared to do things correctly, I'm not really interested in being associated with you because there are enough bad actors. We don't need any more. We want to try to legitimize this, not create more issues for it. So you mentioned expensive. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's expensive. <laughs> how much capital is this going to require? Uh, I mean, this is a massive endeavor that you've undertaken. Yes, we have invested um, close to $15 million, uh, myself and my partners of our own capital. Um, it's been, um, it's been, you know, I've, I've been in finance a long time. It, it, the old saying, it takes twice as long and costs twice as much. Well, there's a reason they say that. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's been, a, it's been a very significant investment, but now that we're in the commercialization phase of the model, the investment looks de minimis compared to the opportunity in front of us. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a cost of doing business. If the challenge for most young companies is their inability to access the capital markets and, or be able to finance the business to a point where they can access the capital markets. Fortunately, I have great partners and we have resources and have had the resources to finance the business to this point. Um, and frankly, I, I really wasn't interested in taking in a, a lot of outside capital uh, until I knew we were able to thread this needle and we've been able to do that now. But you are at that point today. Um, well, I'm considering it. You know, it's where I've been reticent to take outside dollars in because frankly, it's more about strategic relationships and what else comes with the capital because capital is a fungible item. It's, I understand it because I've done it for a long time. It would have to, you know, the, the partner would have to be right. They would have to understand what we do. 
and they would have to bring more to the table than just capital. Understood. And and what specifically would you want them to bring? Help an understanding of, you know, as we launch our business to business product. So for example, you know, we have, we have a, a business to business product that enables the supply chain to completely eliminate cash from the conversation. So now from the grow to the MIP, to the retail location and all the ancillary businesses in between, they now run the hyper application and they no longer have to deal in cash. It's all electronic. We handle all their invoicing. We hook into their ERPs. It's a very clean process. That is going to be somewhat pervasive and ubiquitous here over the next eight to nine months. But someone who can bring knowledge, someone who can bring access to things that perhaps we may not have or may not know we have, and it doesn't necessarily have to be cannabis related, it would be in any market that would bring value and can help us expand our reach as a business. Got it. So you've put 15 million uh, of the founding team's money into this, um, and people invest to get a return, generally. What kind of you know, total market are we talking about? You know, how, how big can this opportunity be? Well, cannabis is going to grow. Cannabis is growing at a very fast pace in very specific markets. It's a very siloed industry. You have California, which is the size of Canada that, you know, at full speed is probably a 20 or $25 billion market. But that's going to take a while for that to mature to that level. You have Washington State and Oregon and Colorado and Arizona and Florida that are going to be, you know, all at least billion dollar markets. I think Florida is going to be a little bigger than that. But so you have you have markets that are going to be significant. I think New Jersey is going to go recreational and that's going to turn into a significant market as well. Yep. And you have Massachusetts and Maryland. So there are markets but it's still siloed and it's, it's a very fragmented market. So, um, you know, as, as cannabis is going to grow and it's going to grow organically and it's going to happen naturally, you can't push it and make it go any faster than it's going to go. So, you know, we built a product to service that very specific segment, but frankly, it's the smallest part of our business. Hmm. Um, our, our, our main focus is, you know, our hyper payments and our hyper compliance products for money service business, cash intensive businesses, and providing, you know, a full suite of services to financial institutions from our document management system to our enhanced due diligence programs. Um, you know, our total addressable market there is somewhere 350 to 400 billion. So, you know, it, it significantly uh, dwarfs the cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. Cannabis was a, you know, we felt if we could kind of make it there, we could make it anywhere kind of thing. Yep. If we could solve that problem um, and, you know, we could easily transition into what we've done now, which are cash intensive businesses and money service businesses and providing very strong and very detailed compliance programs for those institutions as well. Yeah. I mean, clearly cannabis is a massive opportunity um, maybe I will refocus the question slightly to uh, how big of a pie can you get of that? You know, how, uh, what percentage of the banking do you expect to handle in the cannabis industry um, at scale, for example? If, if I would say less than 100%, <laughs> I shouldn't be sitting in this chair. <laughs> um, no, I think in, in practicality, uh, you know, look, there, 
we're not everybody is going to want to use our services. Now, the cannabis banking issue from a technology perspective and from a tools perspective and, you know, tools commensurate to the challenge of the industry, that problem is solved. We have solved that problem. We're the only ones that have done that in a completely mechanized manner. If a financial institution chooses to do this because they have community concerns, it's not so much of an economic driver, but it's more about keeping the capital out of the black market and bringing it into the financial system because it's safer inside of the financial system than it is on the black market. Mm-hmm. And they choose to enter this space. The technology is there that will enable them to do it in a safe and sound manner and will enable them to do it in a completely transparent manner and make very few, if any, mistakes because the system is fully mechanized. There are institutions who have chosen to do this as a manual process. And as I said, when we began this conversation, it's not if it's when they're going to make mistakes and how many. So, you know, institutions, forward thinking, progressive institutions that are more corporate banks than they are smaller banks have made the decision that they're not going to hire a full team to sit and and comb through applications. They want this process mechanized. They want it automated. They want this information centralized in a location where they can get it at the moment's notice and they want to run it like a business. What are the barriers left for institutions to get involved with you? What's the biggest pushback? It's a business decision. Uh, it really is. It's a business decision from their board of directors. And, and as I said, you know, I have institutions who have come t- to me directly and said, we're doing this because we're focused on our community and we want to provide a community service and make sure that this is being done in a safe, sound and responsible manner. I've had other institutions come to me and say, we're doing this because we want to make money. And in between there, somewhere lies the truth, right? So, um, you know, you're, it, it really, it's, it's a business decision. If one, what your risk tolerances are, how strong your bank is, are you, you know, are you well-run and well-organized bank and this becomes another line of business for you and what, how your regulators are viewing it. I mean, there are many criteria that are, that come into this conversation um, but through those criteria, financial institutions make decisions on their own of their own volition and they decide to do this or not do this. And if they do decide to do it, um, what kind of agreement are they entering into? I mean, is this a transaction based, uh, business model or are these tools that they, um, you know, on a subscription, on a SaaS basis, how, how are they paying you? It's a little bit of all of that. So we, you know, SAS is, is an acronym that we use. We, we, we like CAS better, compliance as a service. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, I don't know that we've coined that phrase, but we kind of, we think we have. But I think um, you just did. I think you just did. Um, so, you know, compliance as a service really is a, is a new vertical and it's a new business model. You have reg tech and fintech companies. You know, we're kind of an amalgamation of a reg tech, fintech, mobile payments company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people ask us all the time, what are we? And basically we're a network. So we're built like any other network, whether it's a Visa, MasterCard or any network. And we've taken a massive compliance package and wrapped it around our, our transactional network, which has never existed. We're the first ones who have ever built anything like this. Mm-hmm. 
so institutions can transact and they can track those transactions in a real-time environment through compliance. Um, so we will contract, you know, our contracts will range anywhere between, uh, you know, our cash-based product and cash-based pricing, transactional pricing. I'm not going to get into the full details of how we structure our agreements, yeah. but yeah. Um, yeah, there are, there are four or five buckets there that, you know, we, we have opportunities to monetize. I see. That makes sense. Um, take me back a little bit. I, I know you had a long career in finance prior uh, to starting Hyper, but um, why cannabis? And, uh, you know, it seems like a guy like you, I mean, you had enough money to put in $15 million into this company. I understand. I understand. But you and you and your friends had $15 million to put into this company. Uh, why, why do this? Why cannabis? You know, in finance, in when I did it, in many of my partners who were with me have done it. It, there was a time where you could be creative and you could do things, and you know that proved to be bad for some people and very good for others. But, um, you know, there's there's a, a level of creativity to finance that is part of the excitement of being part of being in it and structuring things and finding more efficient, better ways to generate returns for either your investors, your LPs, or for yourself. And, you know, very few times, if ever, in your professional career, do you get an opportunity to become part of birthing an industry. And when we looked at this, we looked at this through that lens. We also looked at it through the lens of if we can provide a sustainable foundation for this, in, this entire industry to operate upon and solve the probably number one most difficult problem for them, which is helping them operate like any other business and providing them the business tools that are you know, requisite to run and operate your business, then we have an opportunity to be part of birthing an industry. And it was heady stuff when we thought about it. Um, it's still heady stuff <laughs> when we think about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, the fact that we've been able to and we've managed to execute upon that um, is is pretty is, is pretty fascinating and a lot of fun. But but you know our drivers were this is a business line for us, and if we can truly solve this problem, then we can do something special, and we can help to an industry to mature and be part of that process. And that was, that was the driver for us. Yeah, no, agreed. And well said. And I think that's a, about a good place to, to wrap up as any. Uh, Christopher, thanks so much for joining us. I know you don't do interviews, so I'm honored that you came on the show. Uh, how can the audience help? Are you hiring people? You know, who are you looking for? Um, what's your ask from us, if you would? I don't really have an ask from you. We are, um, you know, we, we are now going to become much more informational about our business. We have by design run quiet, very quietly for, you know, since the inception of the company. Uh, you know, as we, as we are now in the market and we are actively in the market, we're going to become much more, <laughs> much more loquacious, <laughs> as we would say, <laughs> about our business and our business model. So I'm beginning to do this more often and I liked your, your platform and I thought this would be a good place for us to start. We are always hiring good people. Um, and, you know, if there are people out there that are, are, have, find this appealing and want to chat with us, um, you know, we are in business to do business. And if we can help, we, we're happy to help. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Christopher. It's been a pleasure.
My pleasure as well. Thank you. All right. Thanks.